This is Geek Gab with your host, Darnall, me, Daddy Warpig, and my echo. We are back, Geek Gab, for uh, Saturday, May 8th, 2021. I did not realize how echoey this room would be at my normal volume. So I was about to say, my, my mic was muted. We're not going to blame this on, on you on me this time. No, 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 no. It's the room. It's large so, and there's very little in here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to have to do something about the acoustics. Just don't mind me. I'm just bringing in a bunch of foam for the walls. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I think I would so upset it's a lot so of people. Upset a lot of people. It is so good to be back. You, I cannot describe how pumped I am to get back to the show today after a, a brief hiatus. And uh, chat's excited too. I'm happy everybody's here to listen in. Um, so tell me, Daddy Warpig, how was your week? Oh, yeah, this, this week, this week, bad video games, awful video games, but games I've never played before. That's what I've been doing for the last two weeks. Oh. Playing bad, awful video games to get ready for the show. I love it. So you saved up a lot of material for, for the show. I haven't. I, I, I'm afraid to say that I've just been playing lots of yeah, terraforming Mars and everything. They're like bad and awful in an intellectual sense, a game different. You're a uh, card games. Your normal avatar's missing there, DW. Simon Hogwood wants to know where it is. But I couldn't get it in time. I see. Technical difficulties. Speaking of technical difficulties, you should be aware that uh, now that we're streaming live, you've uh, you're chopping up and a honestly, little bit. Yeah, I expect some more to pop up, honey. Be terrible Wi-Fi. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. I am on Wi-Fi, which is unusual for me. Well, this is it. Uh, it wouldn't be a proper geek gab without technical difficulties. And are we are we the type of show to do a test stream in between? No, no. Uh, we're gonna do it live. <laughs> I was actually just taken aback. That test stream? Should we have done a test stream? Oh, yeah. No, that, really that would be confused for a second. I'm like, that's an interesting idea. 
Oh, yeah. Well, we've been, speaking of test stream, we've been playing online for the past couple of weeks. You've been joining us in a Discord chat, usual uh, weeknight game, and uh, we have encountered no technical difficulties. We had no reason to expect, other than the fact that this is the Geek Gab, we had no reason to expect that the Wi-Fi would become problematic right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of the term test stream. And, I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense in one sense. Just never occurred to me before. <laughs> um, I mean, I got oh, instructions. Of... Instructions? Back in the day. Yeah, yeah, back in the day, before we started full-on geek gabbing, I got, like, fancy pants instructions from some professional podcaster on how to do podcasting. And so you and I did two different test podcasts. And uh, one of them was about... Harry Dresden and Skin Game, which hadn't come out yet. That was the next book that was coming out in the next four or five months at that point. Oh. And then we also did one that ended up being about the, I think the Transformers, if I was to be honest. Um, but then... One of those got borked because the instructions were just too complicated to follow. And both of them required a lot of work as far as editing goes. And at the end of it, I decided that I would rather do it live and risk embarrassing myself than spend three or four hours trying to edit out pauses and verbal, you know, uhs and, you know, you knows, and I'm just like, I'm not doing it. I refuse. And since I don't see anybody else jumping up and down, volunteering to be the engineer who does it, we're doing this baby live on Google at that time. I'm thankful for that decision. I Doing this live is so much more fun than trying to chop it up later. For some podcasters, it's a labor of love. They love getting down for a couple of hours every week in their favorite um, editing software and just putting it all together, cutting out the ums and things, and cutting out the technical paid. difficulties. Yeah, a lot of people get so paid for it. So if you're the kind of podcaster that gets paid for this, well, yeah, you kind of have to do that. So, so we, we've only been on we've only been on the air for for seven years. Uh, speaking of getting paid, well, more like six. Uh, speaking of getting paid, DW, when are you going to come up with some merchandise for us? Where's my Geekab T-shirt? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I think he got lost in uh, the same black hole that didn't swallow that Malaysian airliner. <laughs> um, but Apple this last week introduced new podcast. Feature podcasters to get paid for people to pay a monthly subscription to the podcasts. Um, Which is interesting because, I mean, when you think about it, what is a podcast but particularly comedy podcasts where it's just three guys sitting in a room riffing on each other for an hour or two. Like that's it. That's that's what you're paying for. Yeah. I'm sure people who make tons of money off of uh, Super Chats on (laughs) YouTube... The super chatables uh, will be, you know, jumping up and down enjoying stuff, but I can't imagine I just don't know that there's anybody I would deliberately pay for their tweets. Right. Right. Well, tweets is an interesting example. I, I, I don't know why Twitter hasn't done this yet, but there are so many people that have such large followings on Twitter giving the users a premium access features would have been a goldmine. You know, all the, all the, famous people who have lots of have big followings, they could, Twitter could get money out of them for features like, you know, grow more users here. We're going to give you more metrics and, and that sort of thing. Um, all sorts of premium features that you might expect, like for, cause you're the, you're the creator, right? Like the audience isn't going to pay for a tweet, but the creators who want to grow a brand or a following, they'll pay to have their tweets read. I think uh, my first response when I heard about Twitter, Twitter's tip jar, was to think, you know, if this had happened in a Twitter without all the uh, lying and subterfuge and censorship and lying and subterfuge about the censorship, it's not just that they censor. That's bad enough. It's that they deliberately censor in ways to try and hide it so they can lie about it to, uh, you know, users and then lie about it to Congress and then lie about it to the media. They're pretty scummy all the way around. And banning all their most interesting users, I mean... 
<laughs> the platform has no value anymore. It doesn't. Uh, which is a shame, but it was a big waste of time anyway. I tell you what, I did leave Twitter a long time ago. I also deactivated my Facebook account, not because of the poor content. I originally did what a lot of people did and said, you know what? I'm going to unfollow anybody who does fighting or politics or whatever, who are just there to fight with other people. That's, I don't need any more of that negative energy and, and I don't need to bring that negative energy to other people's lives. So I'll just stick to family and a few close friends so that I can keep up with my cousins and so on and so forth. Even so, I found myself spending hours every week on those platforms. I was like, nope, it's, it's got nothing to do with the quality of the content. It is pure, purely an addictive substance. I cut it out. I wholeheartedly recommend everybody do the same. Um, Twitter's just awful. Facebook is awful. That's all I have to say about that. See, and social media is invaluable to me. Because there are conversations and ideas that I would never have had in any place other than social media. Um, I wouldn't have got the gig writing for the... Uh, writing the... for the blog... Uh, writing the Pulp Revolution uh, columns for the blog if it weren't for social media. I mean, I wouldn't have met Jeffro and the Pulp Revolution if it weren't for social media. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, I, I wish I could engage. I wish I could get something useful out of it, but all I got was lost time. My point isn't that you should stay on social media, particularly as a person. My point is that, you know, as an individual, you should find out whether or not social media is useful for you, whether it's a toxic waste pit. And then act accordingly, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, we got some we got some good people. I know that we've met a lot of great fans and a lot of great guests through social media. The yes. internet's been a fun ride. What can I say? Oh man! What's hilarious is if I typed a comment into the sidebar on YouTube, it would have my picture on it. <laughs> oh. Um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Yeah. Where, where do you want to start? Let's start with D&D. Yeah, I tried to set you up for that earlier, and we got distracted by your technical difficulties. You're coming in much clearer now, by the way. Oh, cool. Um, so what do you want to talk about as far as D&D goes? Last night. Last night? Oh, well, uh, let me let me set the stage for everybody. We had to, we had a. If you guys have been listening to the show, you know that we uh, began together with old friends and playing um, space games 
and we quit the Traveler game because of the frustrating modules. And uh, as a way to bridge the gap between longer-term games, I offered to run BX or Moldvay D&D with B2, Keep on the Borderlands. Just classic stuff. I already had the, I already had the module printed out and ready to go. So uh, we started doing that, and we played uh, we played two sessions so far, so far, if I recall correctly. Yes. Um, so we we played last night, and last night the the party finally left the keep on session number two, and did some exploring. What what did you want to say about that, DW? Um, I just really enjoyed it, and I thought I, I wanted to get. Your perspective as a game master, and my perspective as a player, on what happened on the hilltop. Okay. Uh, um, because I'm pretty sure you rolled a 1d6 for the entrance to the dungeon. Oh, you want some behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, not for me personally, but for the for the audience, because I think A, it was fun as hell. B, it was built off of a wandering monster check and some other random rolls. I I'm gonna go out on the limb and say that that whole area wasn't originally part of the module. You are a hundred percent correct. Which doesn't bother me. The whole time when uh, when you were doing that, I'm thinking, I know he's making this up, and I don't even care because I'm having more fun than I've had in a long, long time. <laughs> so, so yeah, tell me from your perspective. That's exactly what happened. Uh, it I found reason to. Um, well, I I, I want to hear your pers perspective first because it, yeah, it was a really interesting scene. But what happened? So we got out of the keep, and we were going to go up a forest road, but we wanted to want to get the lay of the land. Uh, we spotted a large kidney-shaped hill with uh, without a lot of trees on top. Clambered up the hill, spent some time looking around. Um, and we hadn't actually encountered anything yet. All our wandering monster checks turned up empty so far. We discussed some advice we had gotten from one of the guardsmen in the keep and then planned out a route. Uh, and we're talking about ways of marching and movement and stuff to avoid getting ambushed along our route. Um, and it was getting late, so we decided to camp in this uh, the lee of this hill in a kind of sheltered area where we wouldn't be seen. Um, and we discussed, you know, what precautions we would take to avoid being seen. This is, you know, our characters are not skilled adventurers. They're not, you know, hard-bitten, been there, done that, seen it all, have their own monster manuals in well-worn notebooks in their backpacks. <laughs> so we went down, set up camp, got a little bit into the woods the next day. And because a couple of characters just didn't have rations, we went hunting. We, 
kill the deer, literally pick the fight. I want you to tell them the stats of the D&D Pit Viper. <laughs> the Pit Viper. It's a, a giant snake, two-hit dice monster with a venomous bite. <laughs> and in uh, in Moldvade D&D, that means if you get bit, not only do you take damage, but you're probably going to instantly die. And I'm, I'm just, you know, this is, this is the, this is the wandering monster table at work. I'm like, yeah, you guys bagged a deer, but you're trying to drag the carcass out and, uh, you know, pit vipers sort of in your path. And the forest was so thick that that was a believable scenario that, oh, this was the path we need to drag the deer out and there's a snake in the way. Uh, so I'm looking at the stats and I think, oh man. Uh, I sure hope they shoo off the snake or go around this path or you know, like figure a way around this or something. And immediately uh, one of the other players is like, all right, I shoot it with my bow. I'm like, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because so, the, the stats were it always wins initiative. Yeah. <laughs> and if it bites you, you have to make a saber poison or immediately die. <laughs> wow. Which is a brutal, brutal mechanic. That that's that's a TPK in the brewing right there. <laughs> right. A um, few bad rolls and we're wiped out. We're making backup characters at the keep. So you <laughs> heard this party of adventurers went into the woods and disappeared. And <laughs> <laughs> never came back. I'm like, oh man, we're another cautionary tale. Hey man, sometimes your characters are a cautionary tale. It, it, Not everyone gets to be an astronaut. That's how we've heard about the woods and the swamp and everything is. Oh yeah, there were these guys. And they went down this road, and nobody ever come back from that road. All of a sudden, it makes sense. There's just probably a lot of pit vipers. There's nothing really dangerous down that road. There's just mechanically broken pit vipers. <laughs> right. Like that's that's a two hit dice monster that can kill a whole level one party. <laughs> so <laughs> we killed the pit viper whose skin I kept so I can make a set of gloves or a handle wrapping for my sword or something we get back to the hill and uh, set it up to do field dressing on the deer and you have to to let it properly drain for 24 hours so we hoist it high in a tree and let the blood start draining uh, and this takes up about half the day and the question is what are we going to do for the rest of the day um and all along while we were on this hill i've been thinking what we needed to look for was kind of a weather top situation weather top in the i don't mean with the assaulting nazgul uh, Weathered Top was originally a ancient lookout point where you could see for, you know, dozens of miles around 
So the watchtower on top of it. So I was thinking, well, actually, maybe this hill had been a weather top. Uh, and so I mentioned that to, to the game master. I say, well, this is the kind of hill that might have been in the past. I'm not trying to take, you know, not trying to take freedom and badger the game master into agreeing with me. He's just saying, this might have been in the past a place where if there had been civilization here, they had put up a, a watchtower or a small keep or something to keep a, an eye on the roads here. So while everybody else is doing whatever else they're doing, uh, I want to go over and explore this uh, hilltop uh, and see if there's any ruins or, you know, stonework that would have been the base of the keep or whatever. And the other elf says, yeah, me too. I'll do that. And so we go exploring this hilltop, rolling our elven detect secret stuff rolls. And we both rolled ones on the D6, which in this edition is good. Was that too long-winded? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you're your interpretation of events was correct. Instead of you discovering a secret dungeon, I decided that it would be a lot of fun if your your fruitful search generated a dungeon where there was none written into the module. Um, and it, it was really cool. I liked it. We came across a small pile of rocks. Um, and as we just caked with dirt, this pile of rocks was just caked with dirt that had accumulated over umpteen years. We have no idea how long, but it was a long time. It had gotten you know, gotten in there and kept them almost glued together like cement. So we cracked out the dirt, pried apart the rocks, um, and eventually uh, a small part of the hillside proved to be just on top of rocks that had been laid in uh, on the small uh, cavern entrance. It was barely big enough to admit uh arnold sorts an elf uh who is my character that's not his actual name but i ruled a really decent character and i'll be sad when he dies to pit fight the poison at some point um i'm just giving you static i don't care you can throw as many pit vipers as is the dice determine or the module determines i'm okay with that if he dies i'll make another character it's cool um and we went inside this cave um and we got rushed by skeletons and so we're trying to fight skeletons in this dark cave and everybody behind us is trying to 
uh, help fight and then the cleric steps up <laughs> i think this is your turn sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you guys want to know why clerics don't have spells at first level it's because he just stepped up right behind the the two warriors and showed his holy symbol and sent all the skeletons fleeing <laughs> completely between between a cleric and a frontline wearing plate mail um, in a choke point you guys just sent the skeletons scattering and finished them off one by one uh, it was a it wasn't tactically interesting but it was a really exciting first big battle and uh, every all, all the characters got to you know have a lot of fun and have a have a good moment. I think the I think the rogues moment was earlier in the forest, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, let me let me tell you a little bit of, about this. It was just intended to be a very simple tomb, a very simple uh, like a cairn, and. Uh, there's there's kind of two ways that you can do a dungeon. You can randomly generate it or you can steal. So this time I stole. Oh. Uh, this time I stole. the. Uh, it's uh, loosely based on the Kyrne, uh that I saw in Ireland, uh, including, the, uh, including the way it was set up uh, facing due east and due west uh, for the sunrise. And... Uh, so I I mixed that in with sort of the catacomb style. All right, here's here's a burial ground for lesser people, and and in you know this great chamber, this burial area for important people. And how about a dozen skeleton guards? Guards, cool, done, right? Yeah. Uh, and but I think I think what you're I think what you were pleasantly surprised at was the way we allowed the dice to set the direction and the guide rails really made it a fun experience. Or I should say, I should say we took those results that could have just been a dry sort of, and then skeletons arrive, right? Just a little bit of creativity and a little bit of, um, you know, affordance for everybody else's fun. You know, everybody was just a little bit into it. It became fun. And and for me, that's the most enjoyable part of a role-playing session when everybody's there in the moment, sort of enjoying what's happening. Even if what's happening is a fairly dry mechanical, well, your fighter's nigh invulnerable because he has AC3 and your cleric, shut down the whole fight, but isn't this exciting? Like, we could die at any second. Uh, what a great place that we explored. Uh, I hope there's treasure here, right? For me, that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that was that was generated right there on, uh, on the fly. It wasn't part of the module. I was like, yeah. And I think you did plant the seed talking about a watchtower. I was like, yeah, what if this were actually uh, used as a burial mound? Done. So what do you think? 
Arden on Studio says, playing the game as written, revealing. Yeah. Um, because there's a, I'm going to get in my soapbox for a little bit because there's a lot of people who think of D and D and forgive me if I've had that made this rant before on the show. Like there's, there are people who think of role-playing games as storytelling or I was just on my soapbox. Welcome back to UW. They think of it as storytelling and, um, like an improv acting group or something like that, that can be fun, right? I'm not saying that that those people are having wrong fun, but a lot of those people look down upon the war gamers and the dice rollers. And I think what they're missing is when you use those rules as a tool to generate these sorts of crazy random encounters you generate a satisfying experience. And if all the players are invested in the game and the outcomes and the and feel like they're living in a fantasy world, then a story emerges from that. So it's not you're not trying to put together a story using the rules as a guideline. You're using the rules as sort of a building block or a prompt, and the story is the result, the, the emergent result of the narrative. Or the emergent result of the game. Yep. So that's that's what made it satisfying. And uh, it took me... Um, we, we, we've gone on this journey, uh, uh, the, you audience, you guys have gone on this journey with me if you've been listening to the show. Like, this is something I discovered around when we started the show. Um, which was, this is definitely my personal style of game mastering. Um, I I do not have an agenda. If the players want to just sit around and do nothing uh, all night, that's fine. Uh, you know, uh, they do what they want to do, and I I merely try to present the um, the incentives that get them to do things that are fun for them, and you know try to be fair and narrate the results. But yeah, I don't... Oh, okay, let me put it another way. Great dungeon masters. People have been gaming for 40 years. I, I do not judge them, and I do not, do not blame them, but um, they'll often say something like, I don't let the rules get away from... get in the way of the story. And that's fine. I respect that. And and they create wonderful experiences for their players. But it's just as valid. And in my experience, uh, for my tastes, much better to say the rules create the situation for a great story. Yeah, stories, as far as RPGs go, are like stories in real life. Uh, and the technical term and I mean this literally, as in um, the psychological or sociological term for it is retrospective sense-making. Because things just... <laughs> retrospective sense-making. Things just happen in life. You're not really living inside a story. You're That's right. Living, 
right? There's nobody writing your life. There's no director in the sky um, handing you a script and telling, okay, these are the things you have to say. These are the places you have to walk. Um, so you just take a series of events and if they're interesting to you or something interesting happened, you write a story about what happened. You know, let's say you show up late to work today. You, uh, and something, it's because something extraordinary happened on the freeway. Um, but it wouldn't have happened to you if you'd been a minute early or a minute later. So you construct a little story about how you were delayed getting out of the house because of the kids and how even when you got out of the house, the car wouldn't start. So you had to get under the hood and tighten up, uh, you know, one of the wires and it got on your shirt. So you had to wash your hands and, and change shirts and finally got in the car and drove out and son of a gun, there was an accident right in front of you. If you'd been just a little bit faster getting out of the house or the kids had stayed asleep like they normally do, you wouldn't even notice that you would have been to work on time. All of those are just events. They just happened. But you have constructed a story after the fact to maybe it's to make a humorous point. Maybe it's uh, to make a dramatic point about whatever happened in the accident maybe it's just you know one of those oh man you would not believe the kind of day i'm having that's called retrospective sense making and we do it all the time as human beings well storytelling quote quote in rpgs is just retrospective sense making of things that happen in the module you're not constructing a story as you go through it, you're just playing the game, having fun, killing evil things and taking their money. That's John asked us that last night. Okay, what is your agenda here? What are you hoping to accomplish? And I'm like, well, what I'm hoping to accomplish is travel along that road, find evil things, kill them, and take their stuff. <laughs> um but it isn't a story until you build some retrospective sense making into it. You ignore a bunch of actions or leave them out for the sake of length or not enough in some cases. <laughs> you don't leave enough out for the sake of length. Uh, and then, then you can tell a story about what happened, but the whole thing isn't a story. Um, and so role-playing games aren't storytelling and role-playing games are not a storytelling medium because frankly, transcribing a role-playing session would, makes for really crappy fiction. <laughs> it's just awful stuff. You, you, unreadable garbage. Uh, and there's nothing worse usually at uh, a convention than to have someone regale you with the tale of their game uh, or their character. Let me tell you about my level 15 lesbian drow. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, and it makes for good podcast episodes sometimes. But yeah. uh, we should uh, we should move on. But I do want to call out a couple of great comments in the chat, if you don't mind. Uh, great comments in the chat. What do we have? Uh, Judd Goswick uh, mentions football. I think this is a much better analogy than storytelling. I think if you look at the role-playing game similar to a football game or a sports game or another type of game, that's the drama comes from the unknown, what, what's going to happen, and you play right. it out. Uh, so if you think of your role-playing group as a baseball team instead of a, a storytelling troupe, you'll have fun the way I have fun. And Jack is about to get me on my soapbox. He says, I think the error being made with the folks focusing one on story is an overemphasis on the RP elements at the expense of the G elements. Um, I have a quick response to that. Yes, but I think that's because of a mischaracterization of what RP is. Um, in my opinion, if you are playing a game and you're you're the way you play the game is through a character and every decision you make is a decision the character makes. In other words, you are deciding as the character, you are role-playing. You're not just saying, you know, uh, I move here and do this action because it's going to help me win. You say, I, uh, you know, I move here and, you know, attack this orc because, uh, this is what my character would do. This is this is where I would be. This is how I best help my friends win this fight or something. And, and right, it's not it's not about play acting. It's about um, interacting with the game and with the world as that character. And that's I think that's something that we're not going to be able to uh, work with the story gamer type of, of person, the story gamer type of player. I think that's a fundamental difference in interpretation. So um, that's hard. That's hard to, to break. That's why I say I love them. They have fun. We have fun. Um, um, and I can join those types of games and have fun, but we don't unnecessarily understand each other. If anybody can figure out how to bridge that gap, I'm all ears. I think the biggest problem in that gap is getting them to admit that they're doing something that's fundamentally different from role play. Especially when it's uh, when it concerns what they call player agency which is player ability to edit the world. I mean, here's the difference between D and uh, D as role playing and D and D as a story game. D and D and role playing is my character came up with a theory. And he tested his theory. He thought there might have been a watchtower here once upon a time. And we went looking for signs that there had been such. I found something completely different, which was really cool. Um, I mean, it's really cool that we found anything at all. Uh, 
but we might not have found anything. It was up to the game master. D&D as story gaming would be I as a player spend some resource story points or whatever and I just decide as a player that there's a old watchtower here and I can just make that happen and in the most extreme cases they don't have any game masters everybody has equal you know quote unquote power and that's a big difference it's a huge difference at the table absolutely okay dw i'm calling time we're 45 minutes in and we haven't even gotten to the subject of this show i have a bone to pick with you okay did you watch any of it? I watched two episodes, and you tricked me into watching a young adult fiction adaptation. How dare you? Oh, was it young adult fiction? <laughs> Shadow and Bone, new Netflix series, is a, an adaptation of two young adult novels by Lee Bardugo. The first one is called Shadow and Bone. And the other one, you might have noticed that there's two sets of characters on a collision course with each other. Yes. Uh, the uh, the other set of characters is from a book called Six of Crows. Oh. And and they were written as opposite sides of the same series of events. No, I I've only read the synopsis of the uh, two books, but. Uh, it sounds like Six of Crows is set in the same world and has something to do with it, but I think they changed the story to make them work together. Oh, okay. Six, six of Crows is like a heist, a heist movie, like Ocean's Eleven meets um, Game of Thrones. But the object of the heist is, it became intertwined with Shadow and Bone in this show. Okay. But it was just released it was just released last week on Netflix. Yeah. You you did way, way, way more work than I did on this show. Well, it's like I said I watched the first step good. <laughs> I just watched the first episode. I found it entertaining. I kept on watching as long as I found it entertaining. <laughs> I think it was uh, pretty entertaining, but halfway through the first episode, uh, I'm a, uh, me and the me and the girl are hanging around watching it. I turn to her and I say, "What the fuck is this young adult fiction?" <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, like five minutes with the main protagonist. I'm like, "Let me guess, she's she's secretly super powered." <laughs> and, and and she's she's pining for the other boy and all the and there's other characters who want you know who are pining for her. Okay, great. <laughs> all the tropes are present, guys. Just in case you were wondering, but uh, yeah, I, I found the first two episodes entertaining enough. I'm going to finish watching it, but I think that's all I'll say about it. I'll let you uh, I'll let you give your full review because I only saw the first two episodes. 
Um, it's entertaining. That's all I could say is it kept me going along for like eight episodes. Uh, I mean, it may be young adult fiction. I can kind of see that in retrospect, but you know, it had a cool little magic setup. Um, it was uh, entertaining for you. It was a high budget show that wasn't uh, that didn't have soldiers wearing dick helmets. Um, yes, that's a call back to The Witcher. It was not grotesquely politically correct. Um, they didn't. I don't know who the characters are from the books. Mm -hmm. But all the characters who were, it, it's set on an, uh, you know, a magical alternate earth, like so many uh, fantasy worlds are. The D&D &D world is a magical alternate earth. Um, Greyhawk is a magical alternate earth. It's even called O-Earth. Um the uh his dark materials is and so on and so forth um so it takes place in a fantasy version of russia uh they call ravka um shu han is the fantasy china to the south there's a fantasy india um and the land of Ravka has been riven in half by a gigantic wall of darkness they called the Fold. And by darkness, it manifests, at least in the visuals of the show, as this gigantic smoky wall that billows and furls and looks like it's about a mile high. And in this darkness, there are monsters and beasts and people going into the darkness uh, very regularly, if not every time, uh, or even the majority of the time, get attacked and eaten. Or they just disappear. They go down through the darkness and don't come out. Uh, call back to earlier in the show. So... The people who are Ravkin are Ravkin. They're not BBC cast as, you know, a million different things. The people who are Shu are Shu. The people who are from Fantasy India are from Fantasy India. Um, so it's not grotesquely, obviously, woke in that sense. And I realize I'm listing a bunch of things that didn't take me out of the show, but it was so nice just to be able to relax. And they have typical modern, you know, racism are bad stuff, but everybody thinks racism is bad. Well, I, I want to, <laughs> yeah, I want to, I want to touch on that because I think 
I think some people tried to make a big deal out of the casting, which the reason I think I, I will he- tender a possible explanation for why is because it is a fantasy world where the sort of modern woke casting uh, is explicitly informed by the source material. It's it's not trying to whitewash history or blackwash history. It's this is literally a different world, and uh, the you know this this great sort of diversity of characters coming together to do something about the fold or something like that. Like that's the story. That's <laughs> uh, the the result is a is made by the the story is emerges from the rules. Um, the characters were fun. Um, did they have a, a Jesper? As just for the gunslinger. Yeah. Gosh, it was fun. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. Uh, he's the, the, he's no Val Kilmer, but love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. Um, he's just cocky. He's good looking. He knows it. He brags about it all the time. He's kind of a Milo, is what he was. He's uh, he was every time he was on screen, it was fun. I mean, okay, his his introduction was a little eye rolling, but uh, after that, it was it was a lot of fun every time he was on. Um, the Dower. Uh, his dour boss, who owns, uh, is it the Pit of Crows? Something like that, um, yeah. The the Crows or something. I mean, he is dour. You're not supposed to think of him as the energetic, peppy one. But he pulls off a great performance. Uh, throughout the entire show, he pulls off a great performance. Um, and he plays a good and convincing criminal boss of a really small crew <laughs> without much territory. So, you know, and uh, their compatriot, the lady in gray with all the knives who can seemingly appear and disappear out of uh, smoke or steam, she's fun to watch. Yeah, she's interesting to watch, and the fact that she's part of this criminal crew who uh, is also a worshiper of this uh, religion, so she doesn't kill, and she's looking forward to the fulfillment of this prophecy. Also, interesting, an interesting character, a study in contrasts. and she's with their crew as criminals because they're a step up from where she had been before. Uh, they're a salvation from when they had, from where she had been before. Um, and even the heroine, who is, as you say, a uh, young adult fiction heroine. Even she is not wet and useless. Uh, She's interesting. 
she has flaws. She makes mistakes. She has a temper. And she makes immature mistakes that speak to her immaturity as a, a young person. Uh, in fact, if you want to look at the way the story plays out over the course of the entire eight episodes, um, her friend from childhood, Mal, he's far more mature and uh, level-headed than she is. I'm not saying she's stupid or useless, but the guy writing the books or the lady writing the books didn't make her the superwoman who's better than everybody else, who's smarter than everybody else, who always does the right thing, and who uh, uh, you know everybody else loves. Yeah, it's a, it's actually a nice role reversal. There, Mal in the first two episodes is pictured as a guy who's willing to take risks and be rash, but when you know when confronted with some good advice or or get you know when his friends come up and say, "Hey, this isn't going to work. Here's why," he'll actually back down and and think about it. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, the main character basically gets people killed. Yeah. So it had a good story. It had a, a story that was interesting enough to hold my attention. And that plays through the whole thing. This does not fall prey to the, and maybe because it's only eight episodes and not 13, uh, which was your typical Netflix length. Um, it does not fall prey to the Netflix marking time problem where you just have some episodes in the middle that were just them using up the space Netflix had given them. Um, they, every episode has stuff going on. And you'll look at like the time print of an episode and you're like, whoa, so much stuff has happened and I've still got 20 minutes left in this episode. Uh, Things just keep happening, and that's a good thing. And I don't mean that in the, you know, modern movies, they have stuff happen and happen and happen and happen, and nothing matters. It doesn't, it's not really a plot, it's just stuff occurring. Hmm. The stuff that happens in the show affects the story. It's part of the story. Even if you don't see it now, uh, it comes up later. Seems pretty dense. And not in the annoying mystery box way. No, I mean, there are mysteries that come up. But I don't remember feeling unsatisfied. I don't watch it, you know, week before last. I don't remember feeling unsatisfied. Hmm. It's not like they hid anything. You get really satisfactory... Uh, answers to the questions I had, to the things I was wondering, and even some things I wasn't wondering, uh, they came out. I was shocked. I'm like, what the hell did that happen? And then you got the explanation. You're like, oh, 
Okay, that makes sense. Um, the magic system is kind of Sanderson-esque, where each each type of magician has one form of magic, one main talent that they do, and their their strength as a magician lies not just in their raw power, but in the creativity they have in how they use their talent. If they, you know, studied it, and learned ways to use it that are not obvious, what the old Marvel superhero role-playing game used to call stunts, power stunts. Um, And the people, I don't know if it was the author of the books or the people writing the script, they thought of cool tricks that you could play with their talents, and you get to see them later. There's a... uh, a running combat through the streets of a city later, and you get to see some of the Grisha. And I believe Grisha is a Russian word for witch. Uh, and that's what these magicians are called, Grisha. Um, but you get to see it later where, you know, they're showing you how to, or they're showing you what these skilled members of the second army, who is the Grisha army of Ravka, um, they're showing you why they're actually credible uh, army people, because they know how to use their powers in ways that are non-obvious. I mean, if you have people that can manipulate fire, that could easily become just spraying around a gout of fire like it's a flamethrower. But no, they show you how people can use that in creative and clever ways. Um, and the same with, you know, uh, the other talents or abilities. And it's, it's really cool. So they kept me entertained by interesting characters. They kept me entertained by a story I liked. They kept me entertained by main characters I didn't hate spending every minute with, which is hard sometimes in modern TV shows. Um, Like Below Decks, when I reviewed it, I only watched one episode of it. Uh, I hated every character and I hated every minute I spent with them. Um, And uh, I did not hate these characters. I did not hate every minute I spent with them. And... They, uh, uh, they kept me entertained by new stuff. By bothering to think of cool and interesting things and put them on screen and, and plot revelations, twists and turns. Um, characters doing things that you might not have expected, but which perfectly fit their character. I mean, it was entertaining. I'm not saying it's perfect. There were plenty of, you know, things you could point at and say, oh, this isn't cool, or, oh, this is, you know, maybe this is woke, maybe it isn't. Um, But they never had a moment where the 
only speech that you could say was woke what was akin to like the uh the speech that Sam gives at the end of uh the uh Winter Soldier and the Falcon, because he stops at the end of that and just gives a speech to senators and world leaders and stuff. And it's like, oh, look, it's the woke speech, because they love having characters give those speeches. Love it. There wasn't a woke speech in this. The only character who actually gets to give a speech about how bad people are and why they should join him um, is not the good guys telling people how to be good by pushing racism from them and embracing the diversity of, of life. That doesn't happen. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I think I'm going to end up watching the rest of it. Um, for me, I, I like the performance of the crows. I, I think that crew is pretty interesting. Um, I like those guys. They're fun. I, they're, they're fun to watch. And, uh, I, I liked some of the sets and costumes. It's like you said, it's a high budget show. So a lot of the stuff that sort of, it, it looks like it's a weird pseudo earth. Um, lots of, lots of, it looks a lot like some reimagined Tsarist Russia. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think it's pretty entertaining. Um, if you. It's what they call flintlock fantasy, which has become big in the last four or five years. Um, they have flintlock uh, muskets, so there's gunpowder too. And being a mage and having to think your way around guns. Yeah, some of the exposition was clumsy, but at the beginning they were like, they, they sort of had to talk about why Grisha don't just rule the world. And it's because, well, automatic weapons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so they... As soon as the repeating rifle showed up, they're like, why do we need wizards? And and the, the country with all the wizards lost the war. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, I think um if you like if you like high production sci-fi, if you like young adult stuff, if you like, you know, fun guy, you know, fun people doing cool stuff with magic, I think you'd like it. If you don't like young adult or you don't like woke casting or you don't like um i think the performances are adequate there's a few standouts um there's a few standout characters uh but nothing's th this isn't going to be a prestige drama this is going to be eight episodes of fun um yeah i think i think by the the by the end of uh, daddy warpig's review i think you know whether you want to watch it or not there is an ancient prophecy and it starts to be fulfilled during this series, during this eight episodes. So, you know, if ancient prophecies get under your skin, is that it? That's not really a spoiler, is it? No. That was in the that was in the series description in Netflix. More importantly, <laughs> it, it's it's it's. Once you know it comes from young adult fiction, you know exactly what is happening and you know exactly who is likely to fulfill the prophecy. So, 
<laughs> so that's my review of Shadow and Bone. I kept watching it because I was having fun, and at the end of the series, they didn't ruin the fun I had had. Yeah, I, I I thought the first two episodes were pretty fun. Thank you for for taking that bullet for everyone else, as always, Daddy Whoopi. I think uh, I mean there were some video games I was going to talk about. We don't have time. I think that's our show for today. Um, I'll. I'll say thanks for uh, bringing, coming back. It was tons of fun doing this with you. I loved hanging out with everybody in chat. I think we lost a bunch Shadow and Bone. We probably should have just done D&D for an hour. But uh, uh, thanks for hanging out. Um, I love interacting with you guys, and I hope everybody uh, who's listening later had a good time. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll sign off for today, Daddy Warpig. It's all you. Um, we did get people asking me, you know, why the show was on hiatus and where we had gone and stuff. Um, and all I can say is that I personally, your host, um, was unavoidably detained by the biological equivalent of technical issues. So, um, I, uh, just was not, was not capable of doing the show. Um, but obviously, uh, we, it had changed and, uh, uh, I'm glad to be back and doing the show. And my sincere hope is that we can, uh, we're going to keep on doing it on a regular basis on, on Saturdays going forward. I, uh, I'm glad we had so many people come back on our, uh, return episode. That is, uh, that's awesome to see everybody in the chat getting booked wild with the with the conversation um and uh i am frankly glad we had uh a lot of things we could have talked about uh we got wrapped up in D D and storytelling and things like that which is fine last night's episode or last night oh no <laughs> i'm so happy to have you back we got this Wi-Fi problem. We got to try and solve, though. <laughs> I I didn't prepare any jokes in case Daddy Warpig cut out like that. I I don't know what to do. Um, yeah, I was uh I was lost for a bit for a couple of weeks. I almost entertained the idea of doing just a quick show by myself. Um. Oh, I I will. Remind you guys, if you guys are following the show, please like and subscribe and get your alerts because our former co-host, Brian Niemeyer, is back. He's not doing the Geek Gab, but he's doing a live Let's Play of some classic video games. Uh, he did his first two uh, chapters of Final Fantasy II or Final Fantasy IV. Uh, as it's known in Japan. He's been doing that. He did those this week. It was a lot of fun just hanging out. He's showing us all the cool glitches and, and bugs in the game, and he's telling us a lot about the story. And uh, I had a good time, so I hope you join us for that. He, I think he's planning on doing that weeknights, Monday through Thursday. But anyway, like and su subscribe, uh, and you'll get those notifications. So I hope the best for him. Um I don't know if Daddy War Pig's technical difficulties are going to let him back. So I'm going to give this a try. Guys, 
Thank you so much for joining me. This has been Geek Gab. Once again, Geek Gab. Oh, I is Daddy Warpig back? Did I get cut off? You got cut off. You got knocked out. And I was, I didn't know if you were coming back. I had just started. I told them about Brian Niemeyer's show, and we're just about to do the outro, which I will step step aside and allow you to do. Um, Judd Goswick really wants to know whether he should worry or fret. What do you have to say about that? Oh, I just did a whole outro. Man. Lost it all. I bet it was a really good one, too. It was so good. I was so happy. I was satisfied. I closed that out, and I thought, man, I am satisfied. The next time we do this, I'm doing this from my phone because my phone has more RAM. It doesn't randomly reload tabs in the browser. Uh, now I'm all depressed. <laughs> no, seriously, though. Um, we've been on hiatus because of unavoidable... Um, yeah, unavoidable... We, heard, we, we heard how you were detained... By oh, uh, biological yeah. technical difficulties. After that, you were uh, cut off. Oh, okay. Well, all, all I was saying after that was I really appreciate everybody coming back for our first show back. Um, I myself, uh, when I closed out our last show, I promised you we would be back. And here we are all being back, just like we promised. Um, so everybody listening later, everybody listening live, we're Geek Gab and... Uh, we may get knocked down for a bit, but uh, we always, we're here. We're signing off for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.